This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI Audio's on air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. Well, it's Tuesday, and we're here again, second day of the week, folks. And, hey, look, you're here, too, and we appreciate your time wherever you're listening in around the world. Always fantastic to have you on board here at Kelly and Company for the live show from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern or one of the repeats, 10 p.m. Eastern or 6 a.m. in the morning Eastern time. And, of course, alongside here, eh, lousy. No, 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 it's, it's agree. But you might not say lousy. Not. Yeah. No, I might not say lousy. I might say I'm tired or something like that. But uh, today is a good day. And I was going to tell you that I did got some meal prep done first thing in the morning. I never do this, by the way. I never reach for a <laughs> knife and a cutting board and vegetables. At Supposed to do that Sunday, we've been taught by uh, Mary uh, when she comes on. She has mentioned that really the best is get it all done on a Sunday. Uh, yes. Tuesday morning. That's smart. Mm, could you not sleep? No, it's because I was thinking I've been snacking a lot lately. Like in the last week and a half, I've snacked more than I probably have the entire year. Which Good is snacking or bad snacking? Bad snacking. Uh-oh. Bad snacking. And just snacking in general. I'm trying to uh, catch myself. You know, okay. like am I bored or am I hungry? That kind of conversation. Yep. And so anyway, I've been doing a lot of snacking. And with the weather change and that, I, I do feel it affects the, the transition of eating. And so I was like, listen, if I'm going to reach for a snack today... It better be celery, carrots, and peppers right. with my hummus and not chips and salsa. So that's hmm. what I did. I cut up my carrots, Kels. Well, that's cool, up. though. That's the meal prep that you made for this morning for today's lunch? For today's snacking. <laughs> I was going to say, oh, no, no, that's the snacking. Uh, that's often what I do for lunch, a little hummus and vegetables, and I so enjoy bad. that. I, I really do. I And grapes. I, I like to throw some grapes in, but I try to watch yeah. how many of those guys I have. And I think it's it's a good thing to be prepared because, like you say, it's so easy to grab something else other than the chopped up, ready to go. Because you certainly go in there. I may not necessarily feel like these carrots, but I don't want well, them the to go to waste. The chips are so much easier to reach than the knife and the cutting board for my carrots. Do you need your um, carrots and stuff to be like salty or anything? Like, do you try to sneak something on it, shake a little? No, no, good. No, That's no, really no. Good. I've gotten better at that. Like, if the veggies are there, I'll eat them and I'll eat them raw. It's just. Am I going to eat them is the question. Well, you can always try out the nutritional yeast. I'm not sure how oh, great yes, that goes so with good. carrots and that, but, mm. you know, something to think about. Uh, we are on the topic of food, folks, so let's see what's coming up here on Kelly and Company. Because, a matter of fact, one of those things, if you're going to eat, I have to then ask you, is it time to replace your toothbrush? Well, well, why am I asking personal things like that? Francis Wong today shares tips for oral care on our wellness segment. Mm-hmm. We're leading up to a couple different days for the disability community to be aware of, one of them being White Cane Awareness Day. This is being run by the NFB. Community reporter Mathieu Rochette is sharing his personal experience coming to grips with his white cane. Yeah, something that so many of us do have to, at some time or another, uh, come to grips with when, when making that decision. Also, folks, with the theme of thanks, Young Wang focuses on good encounters she's experienced uh, recently and pays tribute to her late father in which she actually showed appreciation to in the words of a book we'll get into that in uh, 
second hour of Kelly and Company today. So drought conditions in the American South have exposed a boat that sunk in the Mississippi River over a century ago. In a fierce South Louisiana storm, a ferry boat called the Brook Hill sank in Baton Rouge in 1915. With the Mississippi at a historically low level, she's now fully exposed, offering locals like Brian McDaniel a sense of connection with the past. Surely Louisiana's Division of Archaeology will want to restore it. No, we will not try to salvage it. State archaeologist Chip McGimsey says it would be an expensive, time-consuming process. And while seeing the Brook Hill is very cool, McGimsey says she's really not all that significant. In time, she'll be back in the depths of the Mississippi River. Jim Ryan, ABC News. You know, there'll be those people that say, well, you pull up other ships that are actually way down, a lot more expensive to do than pulling this up. But they have to know, hey, man, guys, it's just not worth it. And when you really think about it, you start on something like that just because now, oh, look, you can see it there. Doesn't A, make it cheaper, B, make it more of a necessity to do so, Rum? Yeah, that's exactly it. You may be aware of or starting to discover, but does that really mean that you can, um, I don't know, pull money out of, attention out of, focus out of something else, or um, even be able to, in in a short amount of time, um, put it on your radar? It's like that with a lot of things, right? Like we hear news or highlights about something and then we think, oh, great, something's being done but not necessarily. Yeah, nor necessarily does it need to be done. And I think we have to look, sure. the loss is there. That's all to it. Uh, let's jump into this item. I'm going to get some opinion from both of us on this one. A new startup uh, news platform is launched in the U.S. Semaphore, S-E-M-A-F-O-R, a news site that launched today, is the brainchild of Ben Smith, a former media columnist at the New York Times, and Justin Smith, formerly with Bloomberg Media, who says they're excited about the chance to offer an independent global news brand obsessed with solving consumer frustrations seen in the news business, primarily polarization. Semaphore aims to structure stories to make clear what is news and what is reporter analysis or opinion. The site offers eight newsletters focused on media, Washington, and other topics, as well as an events business, which has already hosted several talks, including a series on trust in news that featured Ben Smith's interview with Tucker Carlson. The site is free. The founders are seeking advertisers and partnerships, but say the ultimate goal is a subscription model. Jennifer King, Washington. Love that idea. Love that it's free currently. We'll see what happens. I think it is something, Ramya, to a degree that people would want to kind of learn how to make that distinguishing factor. However, a lot of time, I think, we live by the headlines. We live by what we see. We don't really stop to see, well, at the top is the heading, say, column mm. or what. You read it and you just take it as as the truth or, or accurate reporting or as accurate as a reporter, as much as you believe a reporter is. Yeah, and one part of that is the the fact that we're just glancing all the time all the we, time yeah we're just scrolling we you know see headlines everywhere that's yeah it. we're headlining and that's why i think that makes a big difference as to what's fact what's opinion and do we know the difference can we distinguish it really and also how quickly do we adopt someone else's opinion and just say it as fact you know, like that that transition is pretty important uh, and it's happening all the time everywhere as we scroll through, quote, news. But news is everywhere, right? Like social media is full of news and information and opinion and it feels pretty garbled. So I actually think that this 
uh, kind of platform could make a difference, Kels? I think it could. And I think those conversations I had when I was in broadcast school with the journalism students, because they were learning all that, the difference and how yep. through your writing to make sure if someone's reading it, they understand opinion versus factual and things that you're writing and things that you're pontificating upon. And, and I think that that is so, so important. Folks, we've got a show ahead. Speaking of importance, we've got a lot of great and interesting topics on the docket for you today. Up next, a new study from the Journey Neuroscience. Is it, did I say Journey? Journal Neuroscience <laughs> reveals further impressive information about dogs' sense of smell. Dr. Danielle Johnkind will tell us more in two minutes here on Kelly and Company. Subtle on back, folks. Take in the show. We appreciate you being with us. But if anything occurs to you, maybe something you want to share with us, remember, send an email, feedback at ami.ca, the gang at communications and marketing. They'll pass it on to us. Just mention it's for Kelly and company. Feedback at ami.ca. You can always call it in, 1-866-509-4545. Mention it's for Kelly and company. And do give us permission to use your message on air because otherwise we won't do that. Uh, again, one eight six six five zero nine four five four five on Twitter. The handle at AMI Audio. You can reach out to the network. Uh, keep up with what's happening from segment to segment on the program. It's a great way. That's on Twitter. Handle at AMI Audio. Kelly McDonald, Ramya Muthan, and we welcome you back to the show, uh, folks. Let's welcome in our veterinarian who we visit with every week at this time, Danielle Johnkind. The human-animal bond plays such an important role in people's lives, and as a veterinarian, it's my privilege to help keep those bonds strong and healthy. I'm Dr. Danielle Jonkine, and welcome to Ask a Veterinarian. So I had an uncle who claimed he could identify food by smelling the package, and most of us say, oh yeah, sure you can, you can do that, but he could open your fridge. And he knew what was there. He also sight impaired. And uh, I, I just like, like, I mean, he had a nose. So I always thought, oh, well, I'm pretty good. I can identify stuff. I can, you know, search it out. However, we all know how great a dog's sense of smell is. Detection dogs are used to sniff out missing people, drugs, and even bombs in airports. During the early days of the pandemic, we heard about COVID detection dogs being used to screen people at some of those airports. And in the past on the show, we've even talked about dogs who were trained to sniff out cancer. A new study printed in the journal Neuroscience has uh, revealed some even more impressive things about our canine companions and that sense of smell we're talking about. Dr. Danielle Johnkind joins us, of course, at this time uh, to tell us a little bit more. Um, Danielle, what do scientists actually know about a dog's sense of smell? Well, uh, we we know that dogs have two organs that detect smell. Um, there are sensors in the nose, and there's a secondary set of sensors in something called the vomeronasal organ, which is actually located above the roof of the mouth and behind the front teeth. Mm. Um, we also know a lot about what a dog's nose can do since we train them for hunting, for tracking, and for careers as detection dogs. Um, studying dog anatomy and behavior shown that a dog's head is designed to optimize airflow through the nose and that they exhibit the best sniffing pattern behaviors to increase their chances of picking up smells in their environment. 
And we know that dogs use the smells in their environment to decide how they interact with other dogs, with other animals, and with people. Uh, they use scent tracking as part of their spatial awareness and scent recognition to identify things. And, you know, science has also revealed how much more important smell is to dogs than to your average human. We have about 5 million smell receptors lining our nose, apparently, but dogs have somewhere between 200 million and a billion, depending on Ooh. the breed of dog. <laughs> Big difference. Yeah. And, you know... That, that means they have a much better chance of detecting smells than we do. And the other part of smelling, of course, is having part of the brain to interpret the information those smell receptors are bringing in. So in mammals, that part of the brain is called the olfactory bulb. And the olfactory bulb in a dog's brain is 30 times the size of the one in a human brain. Wow. So... Yeah, so all of this suggests that the sense of smell is hugely important to how a dog thinks, how it functions, how it interacts with its environment. And, you know, lots of scientists, they study canine cognition, you know, trying to understand how dogs think and what they might understand. But because their experience is different from ours, the studies aren't always designed to test canine cognition through the lens of what it must be like to be a dog. Okay. Oh, man, that was a lot of great information. Even between breeds, you said it could be 200 million to a billion. That even is a, a giant leap. So I'm curious about that, too. But uh, testing canine cognition through the lens of what it would be like to be a dog. Can you explain that for us? Sure. So, you know, what I mean by that is that scientists who study canine cognition are human. And while our sense of smell is important to us and can affect our own behavior, we, we don't rely on it to navigate through the world necessarily like a dog would. So when scientists design tests to assess what dogs understand, they don't always consider how important a dog's sense of smell is to them or how important it is to how they think and behave. So, you know, there's been some criticisms leveled that some canine cognition studies rely too heavily on a dog's vision to test them mm -hmm. and don't even account for that sense of smell. And of course, that's because the people who design the test for that's the dogs right. rely mostly on their vision to navigate through the world. And, you know, that can introduce an unintended bias into the results, yes. meaning that the results might not be truly accurate simply because the dog's reliance on smell wasn't taken into consideration when designing the study. And, you know, as a sighted person, I'm, I'm guessing this kind of bias is definitely a concept that the blind and low vision community must understand extremely well. I mean, you know, living in a world where the majority of humans rely primarily on their sight must create similar challenges for people who are blind or low vision when their own perspective on the world is so different from the mm. people around them. And the two blind hosts picked up on that. That's exactly what mm -hmm. I, when I started the rehab, was like, ah, yeah, what, how, what if? Because so many people look over at something and say, oh, nice, that looks like a roast beef sandwich sitting over there, where the dog would be running over, hey, what is that? And Kelly would be running over, what is that? <laughs> is that horseradish? Yeah. Exactly. Oh, keep that one for sure. What was different about the study we're talking about today? Well, you know, the, the neuroscience article, you know, it goes on to say that the sense of smell in humans has been investigated with a special MRI technique called DTI tractography. So scientists have used this to see how the areas in the brain that process smells from the nose receptors are connected to other areas of the brain. And so we know from these studies in humans that the olfactory bulb in the brain um, 
is integrated with other areas of the brain that involve emotions, memory, and to some extent with spatial awareness. But nobody had really ever looked at this in dogs, though. And so the scientists responsible for this study decided to do that. So basically, they were looking for brain wiring connecting different regions of the brain to the parts that process information from the sense of smell. It was kind of a new thing. No one had really done that before. Yeah. Well, what did they find uh, when doing this? Well, you know, the short answer is really cool stuff. Right. <laughs> if you're a science geek like me. And so the result of the study suggested that dogs have wiring connecting the smell processing center of their brain to the same areas that people do, but also to other areas that help to process vision of all things. So oh. what they have... Yeah, so what they haven't yet shown is how functional this wiring is. But, you know, other canine cognition studies have suggested the possibility that vision and smell are more closely integrated in dogs than they are in people. And that is actually pretty neat because it supports the idea that dogs may be doing something akin to seeing with their noses. Yeah. You know, and... And using the eyes as a confirmation. Yeah, you know, and from everything we know so far, it, it seems pretty likely that the sense of smell figures pretty prominently in how dogs sense, think about, and react to their environment. So, you know, it's a pretty neat concept. I, I would God, also... We're going to do a lot of dog watching after this. Well, I'd also think <laughs> other animals too. Like, you know, oh, we're always saying, be yes. careful with your smells, with stuff you leave out at the cottage because of bears, right? You know, a bear may not need the care and peek in your window. Oh, meatloaf on the counter. Smash. Mm. I it smell it. smelt it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's it. Um, so what do you think this might mean for that interaction with our dogs? Well, it's hard to say for sure, but I think there's some definitely some animal welfare implications that could come up with this information. I know it makes me think twice about wearing strong-smelling perfumes or deodorants when I know I'm going to be around dogs. Mm. Um, some, sometimes I question how necessary it is to have scents that are pleasing to humans in products like dog shampoo. And I also noted in the article how they mentioned there were breed differences in the number of smell receptors in a dog's nose. And I have to wonder if some breeds of dogs may suffer a loss of smell from these differences. For example, the brachycephalic breeds like pugs. Mm. I mean, they have a very abnormal nose compared to a dog breed with a more normal head shape, like a German Shepherd, for example. So, you know, I, I have to wonder, you know, does this affect their sense of smell and their ability to navigate their environment? Does it impact their cognitive? function um i don't know the answer to these questions and as far as i know no one's looked into it either but Even you know pain in that right like we get upset if certain smells turn us off make us yeah, feel sick true. or hurt We're sensitive mm-hmm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. And, you know, even this kind of research might affect housing considerations for dogs in kennel-type environments. I mean, environmental enrichment based on smell might become something major to consider when you're housing right. dogs, too. Oh, yeah, it's so fascinating. And it's true, like, um, I'm starting to think even with other things we've talked about in the past where dogs are uh, trained through their sense of smell, will that training be done differently? uh, Or can it be improved in some way when you can tell how sensitive a dog's smell is? Do you think this information can help or have some impact in veterinary medicine? 
Well, I think the potential is definitely there for that. And knowing how smell influences our dogs could be really useful. Yeah. Um, we do we do already have some examples of how we use a dog's sense of smell to help them in vet medicine. Uh, the clearest example I can give is the use of something called DAP. Uh, DAP stands for dog appeasing pheromone, and it's sprayed on objects or used in a diffuser or collar to reduce anxiety in dogs. And it's actually a mixture of molecules that are released by lactating dogs and that are inhaled by nursing puppies. And the idea behind it is by recreating this cocktail of pheromones and releasing them into the air, the smell will calm and reassure the dog. So, you know, behavior medicine can definitely benefit from knowing more about how a dog's sense of smell affects them. And, you know, another area I think this information might be really useful is with elderly dogs. Um, does their sense of smell decline with age and how mm -hmm. does this affect them? And are there things we can do to keep their sense of smell functioning longer and stave off or more effectively treat conditions like canine cognitive disorder? Um, I also have to wonder if with this linking between the brain areas processing smell and vision in dogs, how does losing one of those senses impact the other? You know, right. dogs sometimes lose their vision to diseases like diabetes or glaucoma, for example. Does their sense of smell help them to compensate for this? Or do they also lose some of the other sense because those two areas of the brain are linked? You know, I think there's a lot of implications for this research that we really haven't even considered yet. Yeah, this is kind of like that one that we're used to people saying, oh, do you have a better sense of hearing because you can't mm. see? You know, you wonder that as well as do we need to um, have sense, like like the pheromones for relaxing. Would we even need it to where we could almost not smell it as human beings because we don't have that sense? Is it what we're saying? Oh, well, this will be great for the dog. You know, how overwhelming does it become or, or not? I think that's going to be really interesting to see the sensitivity level for 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 what what is in the best interest of the of the dog yeah and it's funny you mentioned um about the sense of hearing um kelly because i remember the one and only time i was ever in the ami office and it was for the christmas kitchen party show mm -hmm. And I remember we were all sitting in a room waiting for the show to begin. And I was sitting at a table speaking with someone who was sitting on my right side. And the whole room was buzzing with conversation. And um, I was listening to the lady beside me. She was telling me something. And you walked into the room and I answered the lady next to me. And your head snapped up and you looked right over to where I was. And you said, Danielle. <laughs> And I was like, I could not have picked my voice out of all of that buzz. I don't know how you did that. Yeah, and it's amazing because, and you think about the dogs because it's so important. Like for us to be able to yeah, stop, listen in a room or look around, it is in incredibly important because it's almost, it's like, well, it is that preservation. And I think if a dog can answer you, it's like, well, Stimulation, yeah. true. Yeah, too. And like it's, it's very stimulating to to listen and and tap into that hearing for us and for dogs. I'm thinking like even dog toys or puzzles or whatever. We talk a lot about uh, you know keeping dogs stimulated and cats too um, through taste and treats and things like that. But does smell make that difference for them as well? Yeah, so I, fascinating. I I just love the idea of that smell really being the the. The leader of the, the follow your nose, but also to confirm things using the eyes or do they even bother? Right. Danielle, wonderful topic. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks.
Danielle Johnkind on the program. And next week, uh, she'll be here for some Halloween fun. We're going to highlight some animals in horror movies and TV shows. And we'll throw in some books, too. She joins us every week at this time right here on Kelly and Company. Stand by. We're back with more right after this. Catch the Pulse Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 10.30 a.m. Pacific. This week, Joita speaks to Tim Martin of York University about the way that documentaries cover homelessness and mental illness. In his Canadian Journal of Disability Studies article narrating the housing crisis, encountering madness, homelessness, and neoliberal logic in recent film-based narratives. That's The Pulse, all covering that this uh, Thursday, 1.30 p.m. Eastern, and, of course, 10.30 a.m. Pacific on AMI-audio, also available using your favorite podcast platform, and, of course, on YouTube. Ramya Muthan, Kelly McDonald, we are the hosts of Kelly and Company. And we've talked a lot about snacking off the top of the show, and we haven't really talked about candy specifically, but you know what? Halloween's around the corner, so there's lots of talk for that. Well, how do we bring wellness in? Let's find out with Francis Wong. Hello, I'm Francis Wong, and I invite you to join me as we explore topics of health and wellness so that you can make the best choices for you to live an informed and radiant life. Well, if you haven't filled in the blanks, we're talking Halloween and candy means we need to consider oral care. And it's a good time for that with Francis. While most people know when to wash and replace their clothing, the same can't be said for how long a toothbrush actually lasts, Francis. So we're going to dive into some of these discussions with you today. That's right, Ramya. There are many benefits to having good oral health. Um, Uh One is that the taste is one of our five senses. And when our tongue isn't coated with debris, we can enjoy our food more, whether it's candy or something healthy. The taste is just that much sharper. Um, We can taste the different flavors and they aren't dull through a lack of oral care. Another benefit to consider is that when we take care of our teeth and gums, we can chew our food properly and that in turn optimizes our digestion. When you think about it, we're either chewing and breaking down our food or our stomach has to do the work. So by right. chewing, we not only get to really enjoy the flavors and textures of our food, but we actually help lessen the load on our stomach and our body. Now, most people are just trying to get through the day. And with our busy schedules, it's a matter of throwing on clothes in the morning and getting those teeth brushed before you head out the door. And at night, we're often tired. And after we brush our teeth, we're ready to go to bed. No one's really stopping to think, hey, when was the last time I replaced my toothbrush? Unless, of course, you know, you're putting toothpaste on your toothbrush one day and it looks like it's been run over by a truck. (laughs) (laughs) No more brushes. Yeah. So this is a personal question, but how often do you guys replace yours? So I started using an electric toothbrush a couple years ago and um, I replaced it like the head of it three times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it came with a pack of four. So maybe like every six-ish months, something like that. Okay. Uh, I feel like I'm going to be told off pretty soon, though. Yeah, I don't think I don't think I go that long without replacing, but probably should replace it more than I do. I, I, you know, as soon as it starts getting really kind of weird, I I think it's about every every three months. Okay. All right. Electric um, or non-electric? 
non-electric. Okay, okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there is a slight difference. It's minor, but there is a slight difference. So the general rule for replacing a toothbrush, according to dentists and manufacturer guidelines, is about every three to four months. Um, there are also cases where you might want to replace it sooner. So as an example, if you are just getting over being sick, it might be a good idea to replace the toothbrush or the toothbrush head. Or if you are someone who uses your toothbrush more frequently, like after every meal and a snack, or if you have children, they may be a little bit more heavy handed in their toothbrush use. So they might, um, need to have their toothbrush replaced sooner. Um, you can tell in these cases if the bristles are fraying either by sight or touch. Mm. And then since electric toothbrush heads uh, rotate or oscillate against your teeth, they wear a, a, a little sooner and should be replaced every three months as opposed to the three or four for the manual. So Ramya, you'll have to uh, yeah. up your replacement schedule. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I used to always tell my dentist, yeah, man, when I leave here, can you give me a toothbrush? It's time to replace toothbrush. it. <laughs> The one at home, because I always waited. I say, well, I replace it as much as I get the free ones, right? That's how I used to wind Absolutely. them up. Absolutely. I think, yeah, I, th I think that's a really good way to remember for sure. It is, uh, definitely, and and it's wonderful. So when I get behind in, in the drawer and say, oh, man, I got a few here, I guess it's time to get rid of this one. Um, speaking of replacing toothbrushes, is one better than another? And when, when I say that, I mean electric versus manual, because with electric, it seems like there would be less to replace. You know, since it's yeah. just, just a toothbrush head. It's the toothbrush head, yeah. And as long as you're not just waiting and realizing you're down to your last toothbrush and it's six months and you're like, oh, I guess I should go and see the dentist now for a new toothbrush. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Um, this is a great question. And you're right. If you're thinking about physical waste in the environment, then the electric toothbrush will produce slightly less. But of course, there are pros and cons to both. Now, let's start with the electric one since that's what we're just talking about. One of the great benefits of the electric toothbrush is that because it's motorized, there is more movement as the head rotates or oscillates. So it can be more effective at sweeping away plaque and food debris, assuming you're brushing correctly. This is also great for those who's, um, who have limited mobility. So people who have arthritis or carpal tunnel wrist issues don't have to put in as much effort to brush their teeth since they can hold the toothbrush up to their mouth and the toothbrush head will move at the push of a button. It's also really great for lazy people in general since all you're doing <laughs> is putting the toothbrush up to your teeth. <laughs> yeah. So are you aware of the time that we are technically supposed to be spending brushing our teeth? Two mm. minutes. Mm. All right. Um, the Mayo Clinic and dentists recommend that you brush your teeth at least twice a day and for two minutes each time. So, Ramya, you're right on that. Right on that. Uh, I know because my electric yeah. toothbrush comes with the two-minute setting. So. Oh, That's okay. right. <laughs> <laughs> so the neat thing, which I was just going to talk about, is that electric toothbrushes have some sort of timer so you'll know when your time is up. So yeah. I won't ask you, though, whether you actually let it run out or you stop before. <laughs> Shame on people who, let, who don't let it run out. <laughs> All right. Okay, so a Cochrane study reviewed uh, existing studies up to 2014 comparing subjects who were given either a manual toothbrush or an electric one. And it showed that there was an 11% reduction in plaque after one to three months of use and a 21% reduction after three months of use. Gingivitis, which is inflammation of the gums due to bacteria buildup, was reduced by 6% after one to three months and 11% after three months of use. The benefits for this long-term um, dental health is not clear. Yeah. Mm, very okay. interesting. You know, I, and I know one of the things that 
I know I've always been guilty of is the pressure, right? I'm always like rubbing too hard. So I, that's where I stop and think, oh, maybe electric, at least that's kind of set for you. Because, Mm -hmm. well, I mean, they're totally, I think you'll touch on this too, Francis, but actually brushing your teeth using manual is totally different from brushing using an electric. Mm -hmm. Uh, Are there ways we can care for our toothbrush to make it last longer? Yeah, I would call this toothbrush hygiene. First of all, after you finish brushing your teeth, rinse the brush off with tap water to remove any leftover toothpaste and food. There's no need to do any kind of sanitizing or disinfecting of the brush as you can actually just end up spreading germs around. And regarding germs, I feel this is pretty obvious, but I'm going to say it anyway. Do not share your toothbrush with anyone else, no matter how close you are. Gross. Yeah. It's it's a big point. Yes. After you have finished rinsing the toothbrush, let it air dry by storing the toothbrush in an upright position. If you share a bathroom with multiple people, don't let the toothbrush heads touch each other during storage because that's almost the same as sharing a toothbrush. Yeah, and then don't sure. <laughs> don't use plastic travel covers to store your toothbrush when it's wet as that is just a breeding ground for bacteria. One other final tip is if you're not already doing this, close the toilet lid when you flush. This is kind of a disgusting fact, but the UK Daily Mail had an article. I think you know where this is going. Yeah, basically asked um, if you think your bathroom is clean. And the answer is obviously not as clean as you think. There are as many as 3.2 million bacteria per square inch in your toilet bowl. But if you think that's bad, there's at least 200,000 more on your toothbrush. So if you're wanting to limit the aerosolizing spray of fecal matter from your toilet bowl to your toothbrush, you might want to keep that lid down. Wow. This is just as bad as the Halloween episode with Daniel John kind, Kels. Oh, I know. Oh, that is. That is very descriptive. Oh, my goodness. Oh. (laughs) Oh. Uh, What are are your thoughts on mouthwash? Toilet lid up, closed. No. Um, You know. (laughs) Oh, we can probably send a whole segment talking about mouthwash. And I guess it goes back to the reason why people are using mouthwash. When I think about it, I assume people use it because they think or they do have bad breath. But that's the same thing as our discussion on antiperspirants and deodorants to prevent or to cover up sweat and body odor. And it's only going to go so far. So it's um, also going to be a very temporary fix. Mouthwash is not a replacement for brushing your teeth just as deodorant is not an excuse not to shower. I like to look at it from the root cause. So no matter how much deodorant you put on, it's not going to change the fact that your body is smelly because of sweat and needs a cleaning. And the same thing applies to bad breath. Why is there bad breath to begin with? Usually it's something inside us that's causing it. Um, So with our teeth, it could be that we didn't brush properly. So the food is stuck between our teeth and the bacteria is happily eating away at the food and releasing smelly gases, which we translate into bad breath. Or it's a digestive issue such as acid reflux or irritable bowel syndrome, among other things that's causing the bad breath, in which case you'd want to look into that further. And we can get a dry mouth after drinks such as sodas and teas and those that contain caffeine like coffee, which can lead to that morning breath. So the National Institute of Dental and Craniofacial Research recommends sipping water before caffeinated and alcoholic beverages to help reduce a dry mouth. In place of mouthwash, I'd suggest you use a tongue scraper and do oil pulling, which we've talked about before. This is where you swish oil in your mouth for a few minutes before spitting it out. Right. And tongue scraper, that's, I grew up with so many of those because my family um, grew up using it. But then it's like that 
abusing it? Oh, you said abusing it. I thought you said abusing it. I thought, what, is that some kind of torture for kids? Come here. Well, instead of washing out your mouth, we'll scrape it. Tongue scraper on you. What? Had enough of your lip. Oh my God, the conversations that we have on this show. Okay, it's not always practical, Francis, to run and brush your teeth after dining out. Are there ways that we can minimize bad breath after eating food? Yes. I mean, sometimes certain foods like onions and garlic are hard to avoid, but you can always chew a piece of gum after your meal. And I'm just going to plug my previous episode on plastics. Make sure you're not chewing chewing gum made out of plastics if you want to <laughs> minimize your exposure to plastics. <laughs> And if it's something more obvious like sardines or other fish that may be a little fishy smelling, here's a tip you can do before eating the fish. You can give it a squeeze of lemon juice or vinegar onto the fish, and these acidic ingredients will help to reduce the odor. This is also often why when you find recipes and canned sardines, it comes in tomato sauce because the tomato sauce is acidic. And of course, if it's not a piece of chewing gum, you can try a breath mint after a meal. And better yet, if everyone at the table is eating the same smelly food, then there's less of an issue at that point. (laughs) And you can't Mm -hmm. pick on anyone. Any other things we could do to help prevent cavities or just in general to maintain that good oral care? Yeah, there's definitely things that you can do like flossing and brushing your teeth at least twice a day or better yet, after each meal. Of course, if you are a smoker, consider quitting or cutting back. When it comes to diet, less is more, so less snacking if you're the type of person that snacks. And when you do eat, try to minimize or avoid the sugary (laughs) or refined foods and the processed prepackaged foods. Bacteria love uh, to feed on the food and the sugar in your mouth. So um, the acids can uh, uh, create enamel damage on your teeth. So just make sure that, you know, you also schedule regular dental checkups so that your oral care can be mon- monitored professionally. And then Kelly, you can get your toothbrush on time. <laughs> At every three months, you need to months, get Yes. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, Francis. Thank you. Francis Wong is our wellness contributor talking to us about oral health today. You're lucky your mother doesn't pay any attention to this show. Coming up next, folks, uh, Ruby Renison is uh, is uh, running for English public school trustee position in Markham Ward 5 and 7. This is a Canadian with a, a disability. She has albinism. And we'll speak to her after this. Welcome back. Kelly McDonald here with Ramya Muthan. And um, did, did that last segment make you run in and go brush your teeth? No. 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 Well, you, you've got... But you, it did know. make me think twice about mouthwash. Oh. Like yeah. the, the, the what mouthwash does and doesn't do? Huh. Yeah, but again, used uh, to support in certain ways. Yeah, it's that yeah. whole not to replace. No, no. Yeah, don't replace. Well, I don't like the toothbrush. I just put it in there and swish. That doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Well, temporarily, but uh, you know, uh, some some interesting things there and things that you don't think about, especially uh, the replacing the toothbrush thing. You forget yourself, right? I think until you look at oh, this thing looks awful, you know. Um, but it's also nice to say, hey, yeah, these are all the things I've picked up on, and I, I apparently am doing right. And then there are those things that just make you say, ooh. 
Folks, we've got elections coming up, uh, municipal elections going on, and uh, some people heading out and voting early. Uh, next Monday being the date through, um, for most of these to be happening. Uh, uh, well, I guess all in our province, anyway. Uh, Ruby Retnasingham uh, is running for the English Public School Board uh, trustee position in Markham Wards 5 and 7. A Canadian with a disability, she actually lives with albinism. Ruby, welcome to Kelly and Company. Thanks for making some time, especially at a very busy time for you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for having me. I am absolutely thrilled, excited, excited, a huge fan of AMI um, as a Canadian and a Canadian with disabilities. Excited to be here. Thank you. Well, we thank you. Give us some background on you. What are you up to before? Oh, but before, sorry, what were you up to before heading into politics? Well, sir, I've been doing a lot before heading into politics. Um, thank you. I, I am a registered so Ontario registered social service worker. Uh, I am also an Ontario registered early childhood educator. And uh, as many of you might know, today is um, Early Childhood Education Appreciation Day across Ontario province. So. Um, I've been in education 13 years with the Toronto District School Board. Uh, prior to that, I've been working with nonprofits and all sorts of uh, ministry-funded programs uh, with young people, children, youth, families. My first project started off in Markham, and uh, it seems about a decade plus later, I find myself living, raising my family, and running to be uh, your trustee in the city mm-hmm. of Markham. Amazing. So you have so much background in the kinds of things that, to me at least, seem to be parallel with um, running for this. What prompted you to get here, though, to get to uh, running for school board trustee? Um, I appreciate that question, Ramya, a lot because I, um, as many, you know, in in order to run for school, if you are an educator within the board, you must take a leave of absence. Mm-hmm. Uh, in order to run. Um, so uh, you don't find many people run in education uh, running for public office uh, as public servants because, um, for example, in York Region, in City of Markham, the York Region uh, District School Board honorarium uh, for trusteeship is uh, just over 23,000, I believe. Um, so it is, you know, it's a huge time commitment. It's a passion. So I, um, as a person with albinism that works for, uh, is an employee of the Toronto District School Board for almost 13 years now, um, I was placed on a leave of absence uh, because currently, despite uh, giving um, uh, giving documentation from medical reports for my albinism, uh, despite uh, letters of support to set up presidents uh, by the uh, House of Commons, uh, despite you know support from uh, Toronto District School Board trustees, um, the my employer, the Toronto District School Board, has not made an accommodation for my disability as a person wow. with albinism. Uh, so uh, yes, yeah, so at the moment, um, you know, it was quite. Uh, it's been about. So I was provided a document uh, to provide a disability related accommodation. Um, of course, us being legally blind, of course. People with albinism, uh, I rely on public transit uh, to get to any employment. Uh, statistically, um, I, I don't know if you uh, are aware, but uh, Canadians with uh, uh, legally blind Canadians are less than twenty percent of us are employable. Mm-hmm. I just have, so I happen to be one of them. Um, you know, I got through public school. I had, I grew up in the Scarborough District School Board, uh, now known as 
the Toronto District School Board, you know, great teachers, great educators. Again, I'm an educator myself. Uh, worked for the Toronto District School Board for the past 13 years, and uh, unfortunately, uh, they have not provided documentation and accommodation. And so I face, uh, I'm on a leave of absence at this moment, and facing termination without documentation. Uh, so this prompted, uh, you know, quite a, a stir up. Um, of course, uh, I've worked uh, now. I've had the great support of uh, some of our local MPs uh, to pass a private members bill uh, on albinism awareness. So I think in one of them being you know, International Albinism Awareness Day is June thirteenth. Uh, so I recognize that there a lot of work needs to be done. Um, you know, at TDSB, the largest school board. Uh, English Public School Board in North America, and I believe the third largest, um, uh, sorry, the largest in Canada and third largest, I believe, in North America. Um, you know, by our own reports, we have a, a four-year uh, waiting list of human rights complaints within the board. So, um, you know, I made the decision when this, I happened to be one of them, uh, to move uh, to the city of Markham, where I started uh, as a project coordinator within the city of uh, doing my public service. They've been fantastic. Uh, the mayor of the city recognized International Albinism Awareness Day, uh, bought a house, moved my young family, and uh, now, you know it's. And now the city's, uh, you know, when community calls you to uh, do your an extension of your work, I think um, you can't say no. <laughs> so, yeah, oh, um, so much appreciation. You know, yeah, and recognition, oh, and, and having that that the, the the ears to listen, and the, mostly the will for people to to want to make change along with you. Yeah. Absolutely. And this is just one, you know, as a person with disability, uh, you know, on the platform of AMI, um, you know, that's, you need a voice for people with all disabilities. And then when I recognize that, I mean, 20% of legally blind Canadians in an age of today are the only ones uh, employable, let alone employed, which means statistically 80% of us are likely on, uh, you know, some form of social assistance to support uh, but when people like myself have an education, when young people can, you know, also consensus can have the support and get through an education, we've all become economically independent um, and able to contribute contributing back to service. Uh, society, which is, um, you know, which brings us to our municipal elections. (laughs) Yeah, well, and we've talked a lot about that on the program because we know it's an untapped resource that, for whatever reason, uh, businesses, companies, corporations, people just don't go to that well of disability talent, that pool that's out there. Can we talk, Ruby, a little bit about some of the strong intentions that you have to deliver equity for... um, Ontario's children uh, out there, the youth out there, highlight some of the ways that you're supporting Canadians with disabilities when it comes to moving forward. Absolutely. So, you know, many of the things, I am the president of Born to White Ottawa, which is a nonprofit organization that's for people with albinism, community with albinism across uh, Canada. And I believe it's one of the first that have started uh, they called me on boards, so I sit on uh, executive boards such as um, Born to White Ottawa. We are working again. Uh, we are outside of um, you know albinism itself, which is the, the reason for my disability as a legally blind Canadian. Um, you know, I recognize that there are the York Region District School Board, all Ontario School Board of Education are moving towards inclusive uh, formats of learning of, for children with all disabilities. Um, you know, certainly growing up uh, in the 90s and 80s coming in, in Toronto um, or in Ontario, the education system was wonderful as well. But 
we are now one of the most diverse populations in the world, so we have to address uh, disabilities of, of varying different forms are there. It's important to have a voice that understands and co comes from that lens uh, of, uh, you know, recognizing accommodations. How can we make accommodations and provide support uh, for more inclusion of people with disabilities? Uh, how can we bring more training and awareness? For, uh, you know, my instance, a lot of it, um, you know, this unraveling of, uh, as an employer with disability, uh, being and my challenges with the Toronto District School Board, I recognize immediately some of the barriers have been uh, just education and awareness and bringing to light some of the disabilities or some of the conditions, or in my case, that result in the disability. And so I think that understanding and knowledge and I, you know, working together, I think we have the resources, you know, we're a great province. Um, we have many, we're coming out of a pandemic, a lot of the issues, especially that people, young people and uh, all people with disabilities face, um, you know, the pandemic has brought to light uh, the, mar the marginalization. So I think a lot of the work that I bring to the table um, to sit on a board of education uh, within, within the city that I work in is two decades of knowledge of what community with disabilities face, um, not just as a first-hand experience, experience but working uh, in the field and we have um, you know it, a lot of it is just supporting uh, people supporting through resources access to education and awareness uh, going back to making sure that every dollar that we invest um, is back in the kids and that's inclusive of all, all children mm -hmm. yeah for sure yeah well I mean you're doing a lot of work you're being recognized in a lot of ways um, there's a lot of strength and resilience in just what you've shared so far in your story and your journey and we hope that everything goes well for you and just the, the I just like to recognize the intersectionality um, for you living as a uh, Tamil Canadian woman identified person living with a disability there's so many different people who can uh, feel like they're being represented through what you're doing so it's incredible and to, to send people the right way where can we go to check you out to support you? Uh, absolutely. Please visit my website, www.rubyratnasingham.com, uh, to learn a bit a bit about me. Again, Ruby Ratnasingham um, on all social media, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, Facebook, you name it. I've got it um, awesome. for the elections. That's the best way to do it. Please go out and vote. Use your citizenship. Um, Ramya, I appreciate that you said, yes, I am a tech. I'm a Canadian, a survivor of a civil war that came here as a young person with disabilities, um, you know, and a condition of albinism. And I think education is the backbone of our society. So I uh, ask everyone to go out and go and do, um, you know, municipal election Fantastic. is one of those things that people don't care too much about. But please go out and vote. Uh, mm -hmm. Ruby, Britain, Singham for trustee. And, and, of course, it has the most impact on us be directly because it is municipal. Ruby, thanks for the time, ladies and gentlemen. We were joined by uh, Ruby Ratnasingham, a uh, candidate for the English Public uh, School Board trustee position in Markham Wards 5 and 7, based in Ontario, of course. Online voting for the City of Markham uh, election is open until uh, October 24th. Advanced uh, voting starts October 20th uh, on Thursday. And election day, of course, on the 24th, as mentioned. Up next, with the theme of thanks, Young Wang focuses on encounters that she's had lately, good ones, and pays tribute to her late father, who she showed appreciation to in the words of a book. Today on our Voices segment, we're joined by reporter 
Grant Hardy, newest addition to our Kelly and Company team. But up next, leading up to White Cane Awareness Day, community reporter Matthew Rochette shares his personal experiences coming to grips with a white cane. In two minutes, we have him. Welcome back to the program. Rami Amuthan, Kelly McDonald, hosts. She's at the Home Studio in Toronto. I'm at the Home Studio London, Ontario. Wherever you are listening in, thanks a lot for being with us. Maybe you're listening in at AMI.ca where you can stream the program through AMI-audio. Link right up there on the website. Tune in radio. Oh, oh, tunes. A couple of other great apps in which to follow along in case you got to run out. Get them loaded onto your smart device. And you can take them. Mondays and Tuesdays, we get a chance to visit with our community reporters. I have to wonder, Rumya, has this community reporter, when serving, ever spilled soup on anyone? <laughs> on somebody? Oh, yeah. no. Soup's hot, though, so you hope not <laughs> soup. Maybe something else. Matthew Rochette, he joins us from Montreal. Ever happened to you? What yeah, have you spilled yeah. on people? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No <laughs> one's told me. Huh? Uh, Was it yeah, soup? Yeah, it happened. Soup. Uh, once it was a full avocado salad, like the literary like tackled in someone else's back. <laughs> oh, uh, in their back? Yes, I, uh, big time, big time. And on top of it, I tried to catch the plate. So when I actually catch the plate, that's yeah. how the person oh. be like, yeah, covering food and stuff. Yeah. No, it, oh. it, it happened. Like lucky that it doesn't happen anymore. But yeah. Uh, yeah. You're a quality <laughs> server now. So I wonder if when people come yeah. here, since they're eating in the dark, I wonder if there's a thought in their mind that it will be easy for someone to have messy hand touch them or something like, a, a, you know, someone else at the table maybe reaching for something and can't tell quite where they are or just something. So I wonder if people tend to not wear suits. No, but you'd be surprised. Oh, no, people I wouldn't. Dress people dress up forget. very love. Uh, okay, Want I did like not as much serving as that. Suit. Yes, I that's know. Right. That's I, right, you did that. I yeah. did a bit of it. And people dressed to the T coming to Onwa here in Toronto. Because they want and people I to see them wonder, in the dark. Sure, yeah. And I always wonder, guys, really, though? <laughs> First of all, it's rare that we have a soup at, uh, you know, at the restaurant for those uh-huh. virtually good reasons. But I'll say most of the time when people, you know, when there's water on the table, it happens every night. Mm-hmm. Someone drop a glass of water, yeah. all the table is wet. When we bring the cup of coffees and teas, people are so careful because yeah. they know it's <laughs> boiling, right? So they are yes. extra careful. Now they are reaching the mug on the table, like really close to the table instead sure. of just go, you know, right? So, yeah. Oh man! I was actually anyway. quite quite surprised that you guys do serve hot tea and coffee in the Montreal location. It was lovely. Yeah, they're skillful though. But they yeah, know what they they're are. doing. They it's only fairy. spill salad stuff that really and doesn't hurt. And they use hurt. real like actual china <laughs> or ceramic. Oh really? Yes, they oh. do. Oh jeez, you just kills. don't want those bouncing across notes. the carpet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Matthew, where do you want to start? You want to start with some theater? Yeah, sure. Why not? It is. Really amazing. So the Théâtre de Rideau-Vert, um, quickly been created in like 1948. And since that day, they always wanted uh, to invest in local creation and included everyone, everyone. This is their main mission. And this is an article that I read two, three weeks ago, and I found out 
amazing that now on you can go there, you know, buy your ticket as everyone else and receive a little display that you can plug in one into your ear and having audio description live when you're watching the play. So I, I did not see anywhere else, in, though anyway, in here in Quebec, that a theater offering that uh, audio description option, but I really, really like the idea. I know for a fact that Théâtre du Rideau it's a small place. It is really nice atmosphere. The acoustic, it is absolutely outstanding. So now that you can go there and having the audio description while you're watching a play, I am really, really down with that idea. So I hope eventually it might be like a future standard for, you know, everywhere, which is, could be easily sized to any kind of sport event, uh, at the, at a movie theater. So anyway, they do it. I am really happy that they do. I will definitely go uh, see a play eventually. So if you guys want to know more about um, about them, you just need to go at theatreridovert.qc.ca. All information is there. And the website is also 100% accessible. Awesome. <laughs> oh, that's blog. great. Good. And we'll get it up on the block, AMI. Uh, up on the block. The blog, ami.ca slash Co. <laughs> Okay, so lots of awareness days coming up, Mathieu, and NFB's White, Nas- uh, White Cane Awareness Day is one of these. You want to tell us a little bit about that and your own experience with the White Cane? Yeah, I uh, each October 15th remind me how tough it is at the beginning when you lose your vision. And I believe that it doesn't matter if you're rich, poor, doesn't matter uh, your age, you or experience a rough time when you're losing one of your sins. And every year, it's remind me how, from the day I started losing my sight, how like I am completely to another place and just cause I accept it eventually. And I have a lot of friends recently around me or in process losing vision. And it is fascinating that we are all experience the same crying, screaming reaction. It's, 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 anyway, it's, 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 it's weird, but it's, it's something in common that everyone will face when you, pro- when you're processing of losing your sight. And there was one of my friends who refused to use the white cane. Do we know him? Thought, uh, no. <laughs> no, <Okay. I. laughs> but I'm sure you know someone in, around you anyway <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. I thought um, I heard I thought I heard a bus go uh, by here that's right <laughs> so for for years you just walking there not using his white cane kissing mailbox three bumping to people walking in just one mile per hour and eventually he decided to not see the white cane as his enemy and a symbol of weakness but a symbol of freedom this white cane, folks, is one important tool to just go out there, go working, shopping, see friends. And I know, and I really know that is not pleasant at the beginning because you think everybody is watching you, judging you. He's blind, he's waiting, what he's doing is okay. The thing is, <laughs> when you do, when you go out with no can, 
and you don't see anymore. You just look weird. People still watching you, but not in a positive way. They just look at you like, is this guy drunk? Is this high? Like, what's going on? When you use that pain, it is terrific how you help yourself to just become a, 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 a civilian who will just like be acting normal. So it's, uh, there was the Pierre uh, Lavoie uh, walk on Sunday for funding uh, money for uh, cancer and stuff. And we were a bunch of uh, blind people who walked there for, you know, I know it was the 16, it was not the 15, but in any wise, it doesn't matter. It is, it's just a good thing, guys. And I know it's tough, but it, eventually you're going to realize this white cane is your friend and he'll, he'll just helping you. Right. <laughs> yeah, he can speak quite well for us sometimes, right, as an identifier. Absolutely. Um, certainly. Matthew, thank you for sharing. That's incredible. Uh, really appreciate it and, and the thoughts and just overall um, that, that life experience sharing. Sir, let's talk about someone else who shares and, you know, yeah. you want to talk about stepping out of your comfort zone here. Yeah. Hey, I think uh, I don't need to explain who Nick D'Ambrosio is. And uh, what is fascinating me, Nick is a friend for years now. And <laughs> this thing, he gave an article to the, uh, to the, blind, to the Fighting Blindness Association uh, about his life, about how he does things, how he loses vision, where he works, what he's doing, a, a really nice article. And there is stuff that I did not know, and I, may, I know him really well. Um, and when I was talking about the October 15th, it is a good link to Nick's story. Nick, basically for years, he refused also to use the tool that is available for him. And eventually, he just decided to go out there, uh, accept it, go work, and have you ever, when is the last time you guys hear a blind person work in a pharmacy on the floor? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Incredible. Never, never right? Yeah. It's no. so, and this is a perfect story to an average person just accomplish something extremely amazing, positive. And I, uh, yeah, I mean, you, if you need uh, a good example, he's not a pro athlete. He's not a good singer. Uh, he's, he's, he's <laughs> <laughs> you understand my links, right? Uh, <laughs> so he's, he's just an average guy who does what he could to, to just live his life a nice way. So you need a good example. You can go on the fighting, uh, fighting blindness.ca, uh, read the article. It is amazing. It's Nick D'Ambrosio, and I'll take the opportunity to tell him thanks to uh, offering me this gig a year ago when he uh, to pass my name to Marianne. It's, uh, yeah, it, it is a nice opportunity. Thanks, buddy. And uh, that's it, guys. Matthew, absolutely fantastic. Uh, indeed, you can get some good... Uh, if you are in a football pool, get some good advice from that guy as well, Nick D'Ambrosio. Uh, Matthew, thanks not a lot. Not bad, we'll, huh? Not bad at all. We'll talk to you next month. <laughs> Absolutely. Take care, guys.
Remember, check out our blog, ami.ca slash Kelly Coe, and we were visiting with Mathieu Rochette. He's our community reporter in Montreal, Quebec. He'll be back next month with another report for us. Remember uh, that we're going to step aside for just a moment, but we will return, folks, with the theme of thanks. Young Wang focuses today on good encounters that she's experienced recently and pays tribute to her late father, who she showed appreciation in the words of a book. We'll talk to her in just a moment on Kelly and Company. When you have some time, check out the Kelly and Company podcast. Simply subscribe using your favorite podcatcher. And, folks, there you go. You can listen to the show in segment form. You can listen to the complete Kelly and Company podcast experience where we even add an audio vanity card. That has this whole show for you. But if maybe you have your favorite contributor that you want to check out or a conversation you kind of maybe came in the middle of, you want to go back and check it out fully, well, do that using the Kelly and Company podcast feed via the Kelly and Company podcast. Subscribe using your favorite podcast platform. I'm Kelly McDonald with Ramya Muthan. Well, Every uh, couple of weeks, once a month, actually, Young Wang joins us, and she's a writer and a member of the community, someone with some very insightful perspectives on diversity and, uh, you know, all these discussions we've had thus far on a range of topics included some very thought-provoking conversations. So she joins us on the third Tuesday of the month. And today, because October seems to be very much a month of appreciation and thanks, uh, that's going to be the theme of the the topic or the conversation. And we're going to start off with some recent encounters. So, Young, welcome back, first of all. Thank you very much for having me again. Of course. And you wanted to start off with some what you call good encounters. So these are some recent encounters you've had that felt very real and very good to you. Can you talk us through what that means and and give us some examples? Yeah. So, well, this is the Thanksgiving month, right? Mm-hmm. And I happened to um, uh, spend this uh, wonderful Saturday in the beginning of the month. Um, so, uh, shall I shall I tell you what I encountered yep. that day? Yes. Okay. So, in the morning, I, I went to meet a friend, Amy. So, I met her at the East and West Learning Connections. So we met uh, a couple of blocks away from my home. So I need to pick up some items from her. We met and uh, uh, for a short period of time talked. And then we left because she was in a hurry. Then within like a minute, I received a phone call from her. Uh, she, she was saying, well, are you sure you're on the right way back home? I look back and I cannot see you. So I... Um, Assured her that I was okay because uh, I was just uh, turning to another road, uh, going to a Chinese grocery store because I wanted to buy a few stuff. So I was not going straight back home. I was touched because she cared enough to call me to check, right? To look back and call me. Um, so I continued to a uh, grocery store, well, happily. Um, I don't know what you guys do when you're shopping, but I seldom check the prices because I cannot see the, the tax in the first place. And I usually pay by credit card. Um, and, you know, just for some basic food items, 
I would not go bankrupt, I would assume. Uh, but to that day, I had only like 15 bucks in cash in my pocket because I just wanted to, you know, take very few items. Right. But to gosh, I, yeah, I hadn't expected the food prices gone so much. <laughs> so when I checked out, it was, you know, over the limit. So I, I, I said to the cashier, oh, well, I, I'll just leave these two items out, you know. But then the lady behind me talked to the cashier. She said, oh, I'll pay for her, you know, for the extra dollars. And you let her take all the items. Well, I was embarrassed and touched at the same time. I said, no, 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 these are nothing urgent. I just, you know, leave them out, drop them out. But she insisted, she said, no, no, I don't want you to come back again just for, you know, a few dollars. I'll pay, just go ahead. So at last, according to the lady, it was the cashier uh, who waived the balance and put everything in my bag. So I thanked them when I walked outside, you know, in this um, October sunshine and felt very warm and cozy. But I thought to myself, I really should come out more often you know, not to you know not because i saved a couple of dollars but no. it was the kindness was the outreach the mm -hmm. feeling the kindness exactly the the moment yeah. that people i can help out in this way nothing huge it's not like somebody's rescuing you not and like you said i don't mm -hmm. need these things but it's that it doesn't matter why would you come back and, and i i know that experience i've been with uh my my parents i remember learning that lesson mm -hmm. very well and you know when the person would say well i don't really need it i didn't ask if you need it just take it now get out of here just say thank you <laughs> and then hurry up you're holding up the line that would be something my family would say yeah so they're so kind and and then in the afternoon you know i have some more um, two of my neighbors, uh, Ruzi and Emmy, came to help me with my front yard. So I had always been wanting to do some gardening, but I didn't know where to start or how. Um, unable to see or even tell weeds from the flowers. But Emmy uh, is a very good gardener, so she gave me some suggestions, like how to keep it simple but beautiful. Um, and, and Ruzi helped me. Uh, with digging and moving some plants from Amy's garden uh, and taught me how to water them uh, myself. So for the first time, I got to do some gardening, like hands-on work, and uh, I, I need to water them in the following week or two uh, to help them uh, adapt to the new environment. Um, I felt like I was, I was having... Pets. <laughs> when I water them, I talk to them in my heart, and I wish them could stay uh, to grow uh, like this new home. So it was, you know, just wonderful. Uh, I I have to say I'm a very lucky person. I have so nice neighbors and friends. Yeah. So that that was you know that Saturday um, illustrates you know exactly. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the, the a golden, beautiful October, mm -hmm. you know, Thanksgiving wow. months, yeah. And and it's kind of this um, 
theme of noticing the little things, right? Noticing whether it be strangers or friends or family, people you know well or people you barely know at all, uh, mm-hmm. this sense of appreciation. And I think you're right because of Thanksgiving weekend and just this uh, appreciation for fall, like understanding the season and all of these things, harvest, um I feel like we're noticing more. People what, feeling good. Yeah, feeling mm-hmm. good and how it can make you feel mm-hmm. when you so notice much. how much yeah. love and, and kindness there is in the world. And I just, because we don't want to run out of time, Young, I'm wondering mm-hmm. if we can talk about this tribute that you want to pay to your late father. And he was a very influential person in your life. Oh, yes, yes. Like, uh, he he was such a loving father. Uh, and a man with great integrity. So now when I look back, I, I literally cannot think of anything, anything about him to com- complain about. You know? um, mm. He and my mom gave me a very solid foundation to stand firmly. So with confidence in myself and with trust on other people and to look at this world in a warm color. So, so he is the person I owe my um, greatest, you know, gratitude to. Mm. Um, well, he worked for a university in my hometown for decades before he uh, retired. Um, but I, I would say ultimately he, he was a poet. So I helped him publish uh, his poetry book uh, in 2017, but that was two years after he passed away. Um, so on the web page of the book, I wrote a, an editor's message, also working as a summary of the book. He never, get to, uh, he never got to listen to it. So may I take this opportunity to read it um, on your radio? Please. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much. So here we go. Uh, it is a collection of my father. Mr. Shujin Zhang's classical poems and couplets. He wrote hundreds of them during his lifetime from 1928 to 2015, recording touching moments, beautiful sceneries, encounters of himself and people he knew, and his reflections upon them. The poetry, together with notes and annotations, reveal a vivid picture of an ordinary intellectual's life in turbulent contemporary China. Between the lines, readers can see a fun man, a mindful observer, a free soul, and a man with deep feelings. The book is also a witness of the history of what has truly happened in communist China and how that has shaped ordinary people's lives and faiths. As the editor of this book, I wish more people could read it, getting to enjoy a talented a poet's works and to learn more of contemporary China's history as well. So these are my comments. Um, yeah, well, thank you very much for letting well, I, me share. I, I love that you had the opportunity to do that as editor. Like, you know, Sure, he didn't get a chance to to read that, and I find myself um, because I myself was very lucky to very much respect and and have had a great relationship with my my parents. And when you read what you've written here and hear that, 
the impact and knowing that that's the impact he had on you, but not just you, I'm sure so many others and the content of the book, the, the person he was to be able to, when you write like that, when you share so much of your feelings, your spirit, your thoughts, and are open to do that, people really get a gauge on some things that that make them think and touch them. There's from each piece, somebody being touched in this way, that way. And I think that's so important and so generous of a writer. Yeah, I hope so. It's classic poems. <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> expect you know, a lot of people read it, but really it's a good book. And, and it has a lot of impact on me because I got to know a lot of history I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So and the I way that he perceived edit. that, saw it and, and viewed it and gave the opinions are really important. And helping Mm -hmm. understand like you said yeah it's not something that is flying off the shelves or anything like that in the stores you know with people buying but it's that thought and i'm sure every conversation with him that people would have left with an impression Mm -hmm. yeah it it was selected as one of the featured book uh, in harvard bookstore in the week uh, um, when they put them on shelf so yeah yeah it was a good book (laughs) There is uh, many ways that we can, you know, show gratitude, right, Young? And it was just lovely to hear uh, you speak of your father and then, of course, the the physical tribute of the book of poetry um, that you gathered and put together. And I'm sure that, you know, reminiscing like this uh, times of year, sometimes for people during birthdays of loved one who's loved ones who's passed away or um, death anniversaries. But I think October, the month of October and Thanksgiving around this time is a a wonderful time of year to reflect. Mm -hmm. So thank you for doing that with us on Kelly and Company. Well, thank you very much uh, for giving me this opportunity to share all these stories of people uh, who have warmed my heart. Thank you course and always a pleasure having these conversations with you young every month it's a bit different so looking forward to what you have planned or will have planned for november and you have a good month you too we'll see <laughs> Thank yes you. exactly <laughs> we'll see bye. bye-bye young wang is our um, writer and um, our freelance journalist who joins us on the third Tuesday of every month to chat a little bit. And Kels, it's it's lovely hearing you talk about your father too. And uh, you've done that a lot on the show, just the kinds of um, reflections that people have and and memories. And it's interesting to know like when that happens and um, how they're brought up. It, you know, it's always something you stop and think, well, maybe I say too much. Maybe, you know, because we're obviously here wanting to hear people's stories such as Young's. Mm-hmm. It's so important to us to be able to get them out there. But you also are, it it tweaks so many things of your own past, of your own things that you want to share. Because I think uh, anyone who would have come in contact with uh, with her father would have felt that much richer. And yes. because you have that good experience, just like what we, what Young was talking about, um, whether people are thankful, just needing to do something, or that's just their nature. Up next, folks, on our Voices segment today, we hear from AMI reporter Grant Hardy, the newest addition to the Kelly and Company team, about his switch from TV to radio. Well, 
In Canada, listen to AMI-audio right from your TV. Rogers Mountain customers, guys, look for us on uh, channel 889. And Novus customers, you guys can find us over on channel 889 as well. Visit AMI.ca slash audio for a list of channel locations in your area. Ramya Muthan, Kelly McDonald, host of the program. Um, you know, we always love getting a chance to hear from people in a different way. You know, we bring them on here and they might be talking, um, I don't know, let me give you an example, like uh, health, lifestyle, or saying what in the world to us and stuff like that. Mm. But you always wonder about, that's just a couple of examples, right? You always wonder about things that they do outside of, of here or what they were doing before they joined Kelly and company. I mean, we know because we're nosy enough to know what they're doing with, uh, with when they're part of the show. So let's do a little get-to-know reporter, Grant Hardy for AMI, who's the newest uh, addition to the Kelly and company team. Grant Mahardy, welcome back. Hey, what's up, Kelly and Ramya? Uh, awesome to have you on today. So let's just get rid of those hats, move the health lifestyle, get those out of the way. Sir, you made a switch from... Uh, TV to audio work, to work on a daily show, what has that been like about a month in? I've really been enjoying having the opportunity to work on a live show and to get the sense of, a small sense anyway, I'm not, you know, hosting a two-hour show every day. I'm sort of contributing, but I have a sense of, what it's like to be on a live show. And that is a very different beast to the TV show that I was doing earlier, where sometimes we would do a segment, we'd sort of film, we'd edit, we'd record the lines of voiceover that we're going to air. And that piece possibly wouldn't air for days or weeks or months. This is live. So it's a really a, a one shot deal. Um, so that's been really interesting, um, and uh, I've actually been kind of enjoying that. It's it's a little more pressure, but I think that's sort of good for me. It keeps me on my toes. And honestly, I'm not just saying this because I'm on your show now, but the, the Kelly and Ramia team is amazing. You, you guys are very cohesive. You've been very welcoming very kind. It seems like you work really well together um, and, and that's been just really amazing to be a part of. Well, thank you. And for us, it's been a blessing because uh, the whole team working together is, is just tremendous. There's a lot. We, we, I think people used to ask us if we had that idea of what our show was, what we wanted to be, and I think we all do. We have that idea what's a Kelly and Company, oh, this is a topic, this isn't, this is something, you know, and we're very quick to say, you know what, this would be better for the sports show. This would be better for Stephen Scott and the guys or for Dave and Company. Like, it really was something that we have such confidence in on that level of knowing, hey, this is this is great for us and, and for us pulling it in and chasing it. And Grant, we've been with the show. We're six years celebrating October 31st. Uh, our, yeah, our sixth, that's uh, amazing. Year. It, it Congratulations. Is. So, so for us, sometimes it's a little, we're a little removed from what it's like the whole coming on, like you said, to push yourself to, to, to the live thing and everything like that. And I know uh, doing TV, like you say, they may or may not use stuff that you shot. You may not be able to fit it into the piece. It may air a little later on. There's, uh, you know, immediacy here and a daily grind. How do you feel 
that you are rising to that is that kind of more exciting in a different way because you still had obviously deadlines doing tv well it is it's exciting in a different way and you know one one thing that i would like to to say is you know it's it's interesting because i feel we often sort of categorize ourselves you know lump ourselves into a box and not even really challenge those assumptions. And I have definitely done that because I've always said, you know, I'm a tech guy. That's like my sort of number one, you know, passion. And being involved in some other areas like health and lifestyle, I found that I've been absolutely fascinated by the topics that I've gotten to cover. And then what in the world it's just such a funny i've always sort of wanted one of it you know the every a lot of morning shows have this kind of segment where you get to talk about weird and wacky stuff happening from yeah. around the, the world i've always wanted something like that and it's just really cool so it's been cool to kind of move beyond the box of like this is what grant hardy does slash is best at or would prefer to do and and move on to some other things that I'm actually realizing like this is super fascinating and fun to be a part of it's really about how much you will and won't resist and sometimes we're conscious of it other times we're not but really it's like you know the opportunities if you see them as those uh you can really just kind of lean into it which is nice but I do want to ask on that in that same uh token are there things you miss from being on TV or from what you were doing with AMI this week with uh, that side of things? I mean, I mean, since you're asking me, you know, an honest question, I'll give you the honest answer. I think Mm -hmm. the thing that I miss the most is doing interviews with guests. Um, And that's something that, you know, as you guys know, and you're under a lot more pressure than I am because you were doing this live, but, you know, that takes some kind of some skills. It takes some confidence. It it takes some, you know, the dynamic is different with every interview. Um, and, and I kind of feel like I was hitting my stride with that a little bit as AMI this week came to a close. Um, but you know, the great thing about AMI is, as you said, sometimes you go in a different direction. And instead of perhaps doing interviews, I'm now sort of leading a couple discussions a week. And uh, I think it's just important to, you know, ha- not be hung, hung up or anxious, just sort of have a few laughs, have a, a little bit of fun and uh, get into it. And, and that's really what I've uh, tried to do. Awesome. And, and it's really come through in, in that time. And, you know, I know, Grant, uh, after knowing you for so long um, through working when I was over on the TV side, and I know what you mean about as you read stuff. I, I used to have people before when I was producing and just uh, working on the reading shows, and people would say, well, you must get tired of that. Man, there were so many things that I would, as I listened, as people researched and said, hey, this is a great article for that. Wow. And I found it very exciting. So I, I, I understand that component. Now, you know, since you've worked with the team for a month, we talk a lot about food, whether it's on air, off air. It's it's something we do. What is your favorite <laughs> food and what is your favorite food to make? 
that's a good question. I, I'm a real meat eater. I think my favorite, I don't even know if you can count this because it's not super healthy, but I, I love hot wings. I really. <laughs> that counts. I really. Yeah, I, 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 I kind of chuckle because Grant's, I don't know if you count this as food. Well, yeah, it, it, it is in a food category. It's like three out of four of us are favorite food. Exactly. Oh. Especially the hot. Yep. Yes, especially the hot. Exactly. Um, so so you will you go extreme hot? Or or just hot? I'll go pretty hot. Yeah. Not too hot for my hot. Oh, I'm so excited. Oh, man. Maybe. You, gotta, you know why? Yeah. When, yeah, when you come to Toronto, you got to hang out with Daniel Panamondo because Mondo Dan will just sit there and he'll drink the stuff Jeff. just like that. Like he'll, and yeah. he'll you know, I don't know. Oh, where you drink a soda, he could drink hot sauce if he wanted. <laughs> he actually does. Favorite, favorite food to make? I'm, I make a decent pasta. I mean, it's pretty basic, like pasta with meat sauce and, of course, lots of herbs and spices and, and, and that's a nice yeah <laughs> and that's a nice dish. so so when you say meat in that case and i know rum you got something to ask here um do you mean beef chicken seafood yeah, does it matter we're talking beef. beef right yeah okay beef rum. beef for me yeah okay no i was just gonna say <laughs> that we've been trying to do this hot wing challenge i'm not kidding and we've talked about this on Killing Company, so everybody can uh, keep us accountable. We've been talking about doing this for a while. And Three or four years had, now? Yeah, it's definitely been longer than the pandemic. We can't blame the pandemic at all. Mm. Um, but we but, did get sick. When it was going to happen, a bunch of people yes, got sick. We were so close, Grant, and then people got sick. <laughs> and then the pandemic came. And now you're here, so no more excuses. We need to do the hot wings. And, and you had to put up with Bill Shackleton getting really angry that we couldn't he do it. It was like, like my goodness, was he mad. He was looking forward to it, and he was looking forward to, to, to winning. Yeah, we have <laughs> we, we have a place in my neighborhood. It actually just closed down, but it had they have had wings that were so hot, you actually had to sign a waiver before yep. you could try them and uh i have a, a video of me pulling a few funny faces <laughs> so i guess i do have a limit wait you you signed that one and did it of course <laughs> listen to him like Romeo, what's Damn. wrong with you of course. Oh. oh he is definitely underplaying how hot his wings can go we uh sure. we did it for blindsided when i was doing the tv show out at wild wings out near uh wonderland and you had to sign it and and the stuff they made out like it was terrible wings. There was no flavor but hot. <laughs> yeah. Like it was crazy. Yeah, I feel you. Yeah, it was no, the design the of that. It was that's all it was yeah. designed to do. Yeah. But did you try a lot of foods? But I guess you can expand from foods if you're kind of over it. Uh, but did you try a lot of things, new things, and sample things when you were on TV? I I found that kind of fun um, listening to you guys totally. on ATW. Yeah. Totally. I think. Look, I have. As I think listeners who know me know, I have a few, I will call it eating issues, to put it mildly. So my my eating habits are a little peculiar because I'm quite a picky eater. And ironically, that was actually my biggest challenge on ATW because okay. so many people wanted to offer us food. And sometimes I kind of, you know, would just try and be polite about it, but like, I'm not sure how well that's going to work with my diet but experiences were definitely the best whether it was touching animals or going on a zip line or you know just checking out a museum or an art gallery that that was definitely one of my favorite parts did you enjoy the physical activity or was that another one where you're like hmm 
Maybe. Oh, it, you know, you get the, the nerves for sure before going on a zip line, but that was always stuff. It, it's much easier for me to go on a zip line than to eat a veggie burger. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I'll take both. Veggie burger. Okay. <laughs> You're not fussy that way, right? No. Yeah, it, it's interesting when you find something, when you're doing all that interview work, talking to so many different people, different experiences, because you guys would do documentaries and stuff like that, and you learn something or find something, man, I'm going to start doing this. And I don't just mean, you know, we hear a lot of stuff, especially with our nutritionists, that makes us say, oh, I better go, go to the grocery store and get that, or I better start incorporating that. But I mean, just maybe a hobby even, that Grant, when, you know, when you're, because yeah, you we had that opportunity so much. Yeah, you know what? One of the things that I started doing after reporting on it was uh, dragon boating, and I did I that, that for about yeah, I did that for about three seasons. At the time, I was actually pretty kind of going through some transition, a little lonely, and wanting to make some new friends. And that was just such a wonderful opportunity to put myself. Were out you there. resistant, like when you you know when? Okay, I'm telling too much here. There's times, you know, that hey, we're going to go out and shoot this. This would be a good story. For who? Right? You sometimes kind of get that like, oh, man, I don't want to do that. Oh, I don't know if the audience will like. And you kind of sometimes are a blah about it, right? Then you try it or go out and learn about it. And it is so fantastic. Was dragon boating, when you went to do it, was it just another story? Or was it something that, did you have a thought of, you know, as I do my research, this 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 is kind of cool. You know what? Um, I think the ironic thing about doing TV is that sometimes we didn't actually see the behind-the-scenes stuff happening. I'm sure you you yeah. know what I mean, Kelly. Yeah, but for sure. um, you know, some of those experiences we would participate in. But dragon boating, I actually was just there interviewing the team, and they shot B-roll. Uh, they shot visuals of the practice, but I wasn't actually even involved in that experience um but i I was just kind of attracted to how chill and friendly and excited the the team was and and that was kind of how i got into that but that is absolutely yeah absolutely there are always those stories that you know there are always those stories that interest you more than maybe other stories but i think part of our job is to experience find, find that thing that interests us no matter what story it is, yeah. and kind of roll with it. That's what I learned early. I, I, and again, it goes back to when I was recording and producing. There was always something in, you know, whether we were doing a show and there was three articles in there, at least one of them would have a couple of nuggets or something interesting that would keep me, oh, oh, wow. Oh, and I'd file that away. And, and and it was just, there was always something. Same with whenever you spoke to a guest, um, something they would say or, or the direction that, that you would, you'd go off into. Um, Grant, it's really cool with you sharing uh, the, the, the food interests <laughs> that, and being so open. One of the things that we've learned with you, especially like you just said, with the dragon boating is a, a point of transition for you in life. And I guess right now, Grant, you're in another one. Do you know what? I've got to hand it to you guys because I've had some friends and, you know, my partner who listen occasionally and they'll say, wow, I can't believe, you know, you mentioned that on the show because mm. I'm typically not the best at actually sort of, I'm good at being professional and not the best at actually opening up and sharing 
my sort of inner soul. And I think that's a mark of uh, this new journey and what it's like working with you guys on your team is that I'm actually sharing a lot more of my soul and stuff about me than I used to share when I was on the TV side. Yeah. Well, I think there's a, oh, if we're willing to take it, that feeling of vulnerability and um, we could have a whole round table on that actually being, you know, on air and live and what that means for how much we will and won't share. But it is mm-hmm. interesting. I've definitely caught myself and I'm sure you have Kels too, um, surprising myself in moments of <laughs> vulnerability and saying, whoa. <laughs> yeah, well, I say to enough people because I'm so quick to link up. Well, my mother said that my fault fa- and I stop and think sometimes, yeah, do people really want to know all that or hear all that all the time? And it's definitely a, a balancing act. But I, I'd like to think people love when you share and hopefully can relate. Grant, yeah. thank you for relating That's to us idea. so many cool things today and sharing. All right, guys. Thanks as always. Remember, check him out here on Kelly and Company. He handles health uh, headlines, lifestyle headlines. What in the world, as we've mentioned, that's Grant Hardy. He will be back on the program tomorrow. We'll step aside for a second, and when we return, we'll see uh, what's coming up on Now with Dave Brown and tell you a little bit about our show. mentioned earlier check out our podcast subscribe and maybe if you would give us a rating and review you can listen to the show in uh, its complete form where there's the audio vanity card on the end of the complete kelly and company podcast also you can listen to the show in segment form whatever way works for you do check it out it's the kelly and company podcast i'd like to also mention a couple of other podcasts that are releasing this week just so that you have this connecting disability is out kitchen confession is out they're both out on wednesday and of course let's keep an eye on our money eyes on our money with ryan and becky that's out on friday with their next installment so uh some podcasts available to you when you search ami audio podcast you may want to grab into grab onto those and uh, certainly follow them rummy amuthan kelly mcdonald host of the program and at this point we'd like to look back and uh, maybe tell you a segment that we thought was uh, something not that any of it is more or less than to go back and take a listen to, but we just want to recommend, give you that reason to go back and, oh, yeah, let's check the show out that way, especially if you're just joining us. Any particular one you want to point to, Rum, off the top? I will say, and I know that on Tuesdays, I just love checking in with our um, veterinarian, Dr. Danielle Jonkine, because I have a dog and, and animals are the best. But today was just absolutely fascinating, very interesting segment on the kinds of um, information that science is finding, like still discovering about how great the the sense of smell is for dogs. And we already know that this is a fact, but they're discovering even more information. And the link between vision and sense of smell for dogs and uh, even the, how do you say it, the, the, the olfactory, the, um, right? The, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like the how the brain processes it, and the difference between breeds, even. Oh man, she went into a lot. It's fascinating to digest that information. It really was an interesting talk, and and again, some of the parallels that you think about, but putting it, turning it to that point where, hey, is the nose come first for a dog, then the eyes? Where so many people, yeah. human beings, and other creatures, it's the eyes first, and and then you wonder how many other animals, not just breeds of dogs, 
um, kind of let the nose lead. I really enjoyed our talk uh, with Ruby Retina Singham. Um, who is a candidate for the English Public School Board uh, trustee position in Markham Wards 5 and 7. What I really love whenever we talk, and and it's not because I'm a a politics junkie, folks, ladies and gentlemen, but it's so wonderful when someone with a disability is in there swinging. Uh, Representation, it's great because not only should we support or say, hey, you know what? Um, someone maybe a little more relatable to us. You obviously want them to do for you and your your um, uh, ward what you want them to do. However, for all of us around the country, for anyone else who's interested in politics, uh, when you look at this kind of thing in the positions and they they share their story as she did, it's really helpful to all of us. And I, I think a really good thing um, and an educational thing because that might inspire somebody else listening in who's saying, no, I couldn't do it. Even though I know everybody in my ward here, I walk around, I attend meetings, council meetings, what could I do? You know, there are different levels that you could be involved in. And I uh, really would have liked to have gotten in a little bit more of the, the work, the effort, the because we know that the politicians, anyone doing any of these public uh, roles, uh, isn't being paid a lot of money, but certainly, Rum, you're putting a lot of work in. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the sharing, because we talk about this with influencers and celebrities, but the sharing of being another human being, right, that empathy factor and just knowing that people go through things um, and how do they come out of that? That was a big part of the conversation for me, at least today with Ruby, is her sharing that resilience, that coming out of uh, that rut of that moving her family to a new district, discovering new opportunities and still through all that and you know how how much toll it may have taken on her personally how she turned to service and still sits on boards and thinks of the communities and uh tries to to bring her involvement with uh, within other challenges that other people may be having and how she can support is very significant check out the kelly and company podcast subscribe using your favorite podcatcher Paul Daniel, under the weather, so we don't have a, a tease for you for Now with Dave Brown, ladies and gentlemen, but do check out their show, 9 a.m. in the morning on AMI-tv. Also, while you're in your subscribing, you can do that to their program, Now with Dave Brown, from AMI-audio and AMI-tv. On our program tomorrow, Ramya, let's see what we got here. Grant will return, and tomorrow he'll have health headlines. Uh, Greg David, you say he's coming in to talk a little um, spooky television, spooky TV. Ryan That's right, Delahanty. he's got lots. He's with us as well on the program. We'll tee up things out there in Halifax and on the uh, the East Coast. Bill, a rise for the buzz with Bill Shackleton. And we're going to visit with our friends from Robert Half tomorrow on the program. What's that all about? It's going to be on World Mental Health Awareness Day, which fell on October 10th. So they have a lot of different things they want to get into about that. Daniel McLaughlin back to talk about the health crisis. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern. So I first learned about actual participating in sports at W. Ross McDonald School. Now, that doesn't mean when my family would make up our ice rink in the backyard that we wouldn't skate around and pretend we were playing hockey. But I had really no concept. I watched it on TV. But to sit there with my buddies and play an actual hockey game? No, no, no. W. Ross was where I first experienced. And hockey was the first sport. I remember a kid coming up to me my first actual day at school and saying, Hey, yeah, you're Kelly, the new kid. Yeah, you're on my team. We'll play tomorrow night. Huh? Oh, okay. Had no idea. All right. My parents had been told he'll need skates. Got him. 
but really had no idea, had no awareness of how how I would do or what I was to do in this said hockey game playing out on this ice rink. Now, I fell in love with baseball. We had a baseball league within the dormitory. We played football in the fall. So we had that experience of the two-handed touch thing, even though it turned into tackle. And then I later would join the wrestling team, swim team, and tried cross-country once. That's when I was actually guiding uh, the late Jeff Healy. And Jeff asked me, hey, Kel, can you see enough to guide? And I said, sure I can, just as we ran into a tree. And bounced off it, and of course they took him from me and said, uh, Kelly, uh, we'll guide him and you go with him. So those were my experiences of those kind of sports. I also dabbled a bit in, in karate. We had the privilege of having one of our staff who was going through to get his different belts. And with the blessing of his sensei, he, he worked with us on working out and strived for some of the kids to get one of the, their first belt, those who wanted to. But we learned quite a bit about katas and things like that. Goalball was the sport. Um, and for those of you who don't know it, it's a sport for the blind. You can check it out on YouTube. Uh, that I excelled probably the most at when I did take it serious. At first, no, just had fun with it, shooting the ball back and forth. We wear blindfolds, but I did get some great opportunity when it came to playing goal ball. So I did get to play a lot of sports, get involved in many, and as I calculate them, say, oh, geez, I did that. And that's outside of what you did in gym class, uh, the swimming pool. Like I say, I, I dabbled a bit with that, so was on the swim team, uh, did water polo, and I'm forgetting something else that I was just going to mention, but uh, it was just a lot of stuff that I was lucky, oh, track and field, of course, that I was lucky enough to do and really lucky to get that experience going to W. Ross, where at that time in mainstream school, we weren't getting it. Now, when I did go to Saunders, my gym coach, uh, excuse me, gym teacher coached the football team and he really wanted me to come out and play and I wasn't comfortable with that even though my father a huge coach uh in in London minor football and when we lived in Montreal he worked with a lot of guys that even went on to play in the CFL was a big encourager of go go try it out go go let him t let him take you under his wing go play football but I wasn't quite confident to do it at a mainstream school the Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.